Second Peter 1 beginning in verse 12 says, for this reason, I will not be negligent to remind you always of these things, though you know and are established in the present truth. Yes, I think it is right as long as I am in this tent to stir you up by reminding you, knowing that shortly I must put off my tent just as our Lord Jesus Christ showed me. Moreover, I will be careful to ensure that you always have a reminder of these things after my decease. And Father, we ask and pray for just the help of your Holy Spirit this morning, that you'd give us an ear to hear what your Spirit would say to this part of your church. Lord, we ask that you would prepare us accordingly. Meet us where we're at, Lord. You know exactly what it is that we need to hear from you. And so we pray that you'd speak to our hearts personally and individually, that we would hear the very voice of the living God saying to us something that it is that we need to hear this morning. Show yourself strong in that way, Lord. Reveal yourself to us. Let us hear your heart and hear your voice. We pray you prepare us and bless your word as we study it this morning and that your spirit's ministry be at work among us. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. You know, why do you think it is that most of our smartphones today, it seems, come with that free app that's already loaded on there as soon as you get your phone, and you notice it's called Reminders. I think there's almost a very clear indication there. It could be assumed that there is a universal need that we all need to be reminded of things in our lives. And so they put that on there. There are other apps you can pay for. Uh, That one is one of the built-in ones. It's already there. It's prepared for you. It's almost indicating to you something that is a need in your life. The answer is quite obvious that we all need on occasion to experience reminders in our life. We need to be reminded of things lest we forget or to recall things. And the exact same need really exists in our spiritual life. Reminders are essential. Reminders are helpful. Uh, They're necessary. They really, I think, are something that God himself is into. And our passage indicates that to us as we look at it this morning. You notice the multiple references in these few verses to Peter mentioning how he was seeking to remind them of things that they already knew. Now, the background, remember, as we go into these next verses... In the verses we looked at last week, Peter was there challenging believers and exhorting us towards spiritual progress, towards the importance of spiritual development, that all of us are supposed to grow and move forward spiritually. In the same way that when a child is born, it is natural, it is healthy for that child to then progress, to grow, and to make development. In the same way, when we are born again, and we experience a spiritual birth, and we start our spiritual life, it is automatic, it is natural, and it is healthy for us to then grow and to go forward and to make progress Spiritually, And in light of those things, Peter was saying that the reason that he was challenging and exhorting them towards growth was because his desire was to see fellow Christians not just finish the race, but to finish well. And there's a difference between just finishing a race for the sake of finishing it 
and actually finishing well where you're actually trying to go as far as you possibly can in the midst of your progress and he said in the last verse we were looking at there in verse 11 that he wanted to see christians have an abundant entrance not just to enter heaven but to have an abundant entrance into the everlasting kingdom of our lord and savior jesus christ now with that in mind he then says verse 12 continuing for this reason in light of those things for this reason I will not be negligent, he says, to remind you always of these things, though you know and are established in the present truth. So take note, verse 12 there. Peter admits that much of what he has said and really much of what he's going to continue to say as he goes on to write in this letter is not something necessarily that was new. They weren't novel truths. Uh, they weren't new concepts and spiritual principles or theological ideas that had never been shared before by Paul or by Peter or maybe that they themselves had already discovered. He says, look, what I'm about, about to say, he says, it's not necessarily anything new. Rather, it's a reminder of what you already know. Peter, as a very mature believer at this point in his life, realized that the truths that we already know and the things that were already established in our understanding are still necessary and helpful to be heard repeatedly. So he openly acknowledges here in this 12th verse for us uh, that he was fully aware that they already knew and were well rooted in the spiritual truths that he's talking to us about. You, you see what he says there in the text. He says, look, I'm aware, he's acknowledging, I'm fully aware, he says, that the things that I have already just shared in verses 1 to 11 and the things I'm going to continue to share, he says, I am fully aware, he says there, that you know and are established in the present truth. And, and let me just say in light of that, it is a very good thing to know and to become established in the truth. It's an important thing to know the truth. It's an essential thing to become established in the truth for a few reasons. First of all, because truth is liberating. Truth is liberating. Jesus himself would say, if you know the truth, the truth will set you free. There is something, is there not, very liberating about when you finally know the truth or when you come to discover the truth. It frees you from error. It liberates you from thinking wrongly about something or having a wrong perspective. The truth is a liberating thing. When someone does not have the truth, in a sense, they are bound by wrong ideas and a blinded perspective and they live in constant error simply because they have not been freed from the shackles of lies and deception that they're in, whether they realize or not. So th to become uh, established in the truth, to know the truth is very liberating. To know the truth is also very foundational as well. Once you have the truth, you then have a basis to build off of. Once you know the truth and then become rooted and established in the truth, you actually have now a foundation that you can work from. So the truth isn't just a liberating thing, it's also a foundational thing. It gives you something to build off of. Once you have a truth as a frame of reference, you can then build and actually move forward in your life. And thirdly, the truth is also enlightening and it's instructive because when you have the truth it's almost like you have a lamp walking through a, a dark field when you have the truth it's enlightening in the sense that it sheds light 
for you in regards to what you're supposed to do or what you're not supposed to do. To have the truth enlightens and instructs you where to go and where not to go. It makes evident to you really you know, how you should live your life and where you should go with things. And not only just that, the truth also is enlightening because it shows you how to get there. How do I get from point A to point B? Well, the truth helps you with that. It enlightens and gives instruction in a helpful way. And let me just say this. The best way to know the truth and the best way to become established in the truth is twofold. It is to come to know Jesus Christ personally and it is also to become established in your understanding of the Word of God. You know, the Bible tells us in Ephesians chapter 4 that the truth is in Jesus. The truth is in Jesus. Jesus himself said very directly regarding his own life, he said, John 14, I am the way, the truth, and he says, and, 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 and the life and no one comes to the Father except through me. So Jesus said, I am the truth personified. So as you come to know Jesus, you come to know the truth because he is the truth about life, about death, about God, about everything that we need to know in regards to our existence on this earth and what happens after we depart from it. So the truth is in Jesus. So listen, do you want to know the truth? The truth begins with coming to the one who is the truth personified. It's Jesus. He's the only one who is true and who has the truth. And to come to know him is to come to know the truth and to have your eyes enlightened and to understand what God's intention is for your life. And to become established in the truth is also then to become established in the word of God. Because the Bible tells us as well in Psalm 119, the entirety of your word is is truth the entirety of this book is truth now listen there's a lot of error in this world people lie to us the world gives us all kinds of wrong perceptions about things we have wrong ideas at times in our minds about the way that we think about things and god says to us the entirety of this book is truth so if you want to know what the truth is it doesn't necessarily come from getting a great education or talking to wise people that seem to have philosophies and ideas and ideologies. It, listen, if you want to know the truth, become fully acquainted and established with what this book says and you'll know the truth. And that truth will set you free. It'll root you in the truth. It'll help you to be able to discern the difference between what's error and what is reality and true. Jesus said in John 17 when he was praying to his father, he said, Father, sanctify them. He said, sanctify them by your truth. And then he said, your word is truth. Sanctify them, set them apart by the truth. Your word, Jesus said, Father, that is what is truth. And that word sanctify there, Jesus uses literally is the, the uh, Greek term where we get our word today in the English, catharize. And if any of you have experienced the catharization process, you understand what that involves. It is a way whereby something is inserted into your system to help you release toxins and things that should not be in your system because you're not able to get them out yourself. And that's what the Word of God does. Our lives are toxic. Our hearts are toxic with sin and corruption and our minds are corrupted. And God's Word, when it goes into your life, it catharizes 
your heart. It catheterizes your life. It gets out of you and I toxins and unhealthy things that don't belong in our lives. Now, the problem we all face is that even though we can know the truth and we become established in the truth, the problem every one of us still faces is because we have weak and failing minds that are quite faulty and because we live in a world with the presence of the devil's lying voice all around us, even once we know the truth, would you agree, we tend to periodically forget the truth and we tend on occasion to be misguided away from the truth. And because of that reality, that's why Peter says to us here in our text in verse 12, for this reason, I won't be negligent to remind you always of these things, even though you know and are established in the truth. So Peter says these things. When he says these things, he's referring to two things. First of all, what he just shared in verses 1 to 11 telling us how God supplied to us everything that we need for life and godliness by his power and what he supplied to us supernaturally, that we have all we need for a fruitful, successful Christian life already at our disposal as a result of just having a relationship with Jesus, that we are called to cooperate with God and contribute our part to grow and make progress develop me development and not only that everything peter is going to share from this point forward he's inferring as well and regarding these important spiritual truths peter says to us in verse 12 that he felt that he would be negligent as a pastor as a teacher he said i feel i will be negligent if i don't remind you of these truths repeatedly the point that he's making here is this, is even as it's good to, to learn new things, to be growing in our knowledge of God, that's important, but it's just as important to be reminded of fundamental truths that we already know as well, to hear truths that we've already learned, to become uh, reacquainted with things that we have already discovered and to have reinforced to our hearts and to our lives things that we already understand in a repeated way, in a repetitious manner. And repeating and reinforcing known truths is a part of the responsibility of a faithful pastor or teacher or shepherd with God's people. We see that with Peter here. We see that with Paul in the New Testament. We see it in the ministry of Jesus. We find this repeated in the Word of God. In 2 Timothy 2, verse 14, Paul gives instruction to Timothy, another younger pastor, and he says to, to young Timothy in 2 Timothy 2, 14, he says, Timothy, remind them of these things. He doesn't say, Timothy, come on, you need to get some new revelations to draw people in. You need some new, novel, clever stuff. He says, no, Timothy, remind the people of these things remind them of these things you know interesting that paul would ultimately tell timothy the things that you've heard and learned from me commit these things to other faithful men who will be able to teach others also see a lot of good healthy ministry is just a transmission of truth listen gang truth be told uh, no pun intended uh, truth be told nothing's changed nothing has been new or novel from the time that the Spirit of God gave it to Paul the Apostle. It, it, it's the transmission of the same truths so many times of what we're deficient of. And, and the Bible says that a lot of times good ministry is learning things, learning the truth, and then transmitting those truths to someone else who can then transmit those truths to another person. 
And Paul told Timothy, as well as Titus, Titus 3.1, he told Titus, remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to obey and to be ready for every good work. When Paul wrote to the Philippians in chapter 3, listen to this, Philippians 3.1. This is an important verse. Philippians 3.1, he says, for me to write the same things to you is not tedious. The idea, it's not bothersome. For me to write the same things, which means Paul was being repetitious when he was writing that letter to the Philippians. He says, look, I'm writing to you some of the same things that you've already heard me say when I was with you before. For me to write the same things to you, it's not bothersome. He says this, but for you, it is safe. It's a safeguard, he says. Now, listen, this morning spiritual teachers if you have the privilege to teach the word of god in a home bible study or with children or you know to 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 pastor a congregation someday it is very very important to remember that spiritual teachers have to beware of always wanting to get sometimes to be clever and always looking from some new novel concept that has to be shared as if somehow we need to impress people with some new or unique insight that nobody has ever seen before somehow. I would encourage you and caution you, be careful of that. Be very, very careful of that. Will people always have a craving for novelty? Yes. That's just human nature. We love novelty. We get bored. We always want something new. What's new? What's novel? That's why we spend all our money on the next latest gadget. We always need something new. You know, It's amazing. We, I, I have... You know, four women that live in my household and closets full of clothes. And yet they'll say, I have nothing to wear. Now, I've matured enough over the years of 20 years of marriage and three teenage daughters to understand. Interpret that I have nothing to wear. That means I have nothing new to put on. I'd like something, I have nothing to, I have nothing new to wear is what that means. We love novelty. It's just the way that we are. And the same is true spiritually, unfortunately. Paul told Timothy that people have itching ears and people at times will heap to themselves teachers who will just say what their itching ears want to say. They, they want to scratch the itch. Tell us something new or, or something that's a little more palatable instead of uh, tell us something that, that we can be comfortable with. And, and, and the desire for novelty is a reality. However, we have to be careful because people need the basics for stability. Nothing wrong with, on occasion, a fresh insight, but we need to be cautious and there needs to be a balance where we're always reinforcing fundamental truths. Sometimes the healthiest and safest thing you can do, whether you're teaching children in your own home and sharing your children, you know, how to know God and walk in a relationship with God. Listen, you don't have to be clever. Just reiterate to them the truths that are foundational and fundamental of what it means to know God and have a relationship with the Lord, to remind them of those things, to put them in re remembrance of those things, to reinforce. If you've ever coached sports before or you've been on the side of playing sports before, you know a lot of times fundamentals, basics, you know, the you know, training camp starts up and before we go on, look, let's, let's go back to fundamentals here. Let's re-emphasize the fundamentals. Let's work through the basics of the skills of how to play this particular game. And reminding someone of the same things once again is essential and helpful. And to neglect to do that actually 
fails to safeguard and protect those that we're trying to assist and to help. And that's what Peter is saying here. And for those of us who are listeners, we have to be reminded that having the truth reinforced to us or hearing something that may seem repetitious or I've heard this before, listen, that is one of the safest things that we can experience in our lives. It protects us, even as we need new revelation in our spiritual life. I understand that, to kind of keep fresh and flourishing. There's a need for growing in our knowledge of God and and new revelation. We also need reminders in our spiritual life because that's what keeps us anchored. That's what keeps us stable. And repetition is one of the best ways to learn. We know that. And repetition of important truths reinforce what's right and they refocus us when we're off because hearing what we already know is what helps us kind of stay on track. And if and when we do start to deviate a little bit in some measure, which we all do, hearing the same things repeated to us and reminding us of truths that we already know is typically the very thing that helps us adjust before we wander a little too far and then ultimately suffer as a result of that. And God knows our propensity to wander and to be deceived and misguided. So his pattern of spiritual life involves reminders. Part of God's protocol involves ways to remember. Think with me of the Old Testament feasts. We've been studying some of these things on Wednesday evenings in the Old Testament. And again, a large part of those Old Testament feasts, such as Passover and Tabernacles, they were intended to be a means of reminding the people of the ways of God, of reminding the people of things about God that they needed to remember, of reminding the people of what God had done for them and therefore what God would continue to do for them. In the same way, in the New Testament, we see the same pattern. This is what communion is intended for. Jesus said, when you do this, partaking of the bread and the cup, he said, do this in what? Remembrance of of me a part of the reason that we are supposed to participate in communion and again i remind you jesus said do this do this so when there's an opportunity to partake of communion we should do that because jesus said do this not if if you feel like he says do this and do it in remembrance of me. Why? Because Jesus knows that in our personal walk with him, we have a tendency sometimes to forget about the basis of what that relationship is all about. And sometimes we need to be brought back to center, like someone going to a chiropractor and they need to be realigned. Sometimes we need to be realigned spiritually. And as we partake of communion and we celebrate with the bread and the cup, it reminds us of Jesus' love. It reminds us of his depths of sacrifice it reminds us of his forgiveness it reminds us of what he has done and what is still available for us and this morning by way of application with these things can i say to you perhaps perhaps right now in your life this morning what god has been desiring to speak to you in your situation whatever your situation right now is maybe what god's desiring to speak to you in your situation listen is not new information Maybe what God is trying to say to you is to simply remind you of what he's already shown you. And instead of telling you new information and and you're praying and looking for new information, maybe God's saying, I don't have any new information for you. But what I have 
is I want to remind you of what I've already said to you. I want to reinforce to you what I've already shown you. Micah chapter 6 verse 8 says this, He has shown you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Lord, what do you require of me? What do you require of me? Lord, what do you want to show me? The prophet says, he has shown you what the Lord does require of you. And sometimes we're often looking for some new insight or some new revelation and God says, no, what I'm looking to do is to remind you of what I've already shown you. I've already shown you. I've already spoken to you. And sometimes he's just seeking to remind us of things that we've already heard or learned in our lives before. Verse 13, he says, yes, I think it is right as long as I am in this tent to stir you up by reminding you. So here Peter sensed another reason that it's right to remind people of truths is he says, when, when we're reminded of things, it often awakens or arouses us to begin to think clearly about a situation once again. Do you see the language in verse 13 there? Look at the text. He says, here's another reason I think it's right to remind you is he says, because I can stir you up by reminding you. Now, when you get to chapter 3, verse 1, Peter says there, Beloved, I now write to you this second epistle in both of which I stir up your pure minds by way of reminder. So Peter here points out another benefit to being reminded, he says, is it actually has a way of kind of stirring up a sleepy or drowsy mind. Now, I know that never happens to any one of you. I never notice when you look, yawn or kind of do one of these bobbers when I'm you know, teaching once in a while. We, we become very you know, good at doing that. Uh, but the Bible says that sometimes our minds, they kind of get a little sleepy and, and drowsy in regards to their thinking capacity. And Peter says, I want to stir up your mind through reminders. So reminders don't just safeguard us. That's one thing reminders do. They protect us. They safeguard us. They help us stay on track or get back on track. But reminders also have a way in our lives where when we're reminded of things we know, it kind of awakens our thoughts about matters. And it kind of uh, has a way to get us to reevaluate things once, to get us reconsidering maybe things that we weren't thinking about correctly to think differently or to think clearly once again. If I can illustrate, imagine in your mind, if you would, like a waning fire or a fire that's starting to die and to go out and you go up to that fire that's about to go out and you stoke it or you breathe some fresh oxygen and the idea is you're trying to stir up that fire to awaken it to come back to life again so that it would burn brightly again. And the Bible is saying this is kind of one of the purpose and benefits of reminders. They have this ability to kind of like stoke our mental faculties and it rekindles our thinking if our thoughts have kind of grown dim or cold in a particular area. As our minds are reminded of things, sometimes it renews and brings fresh life and light so that we can see better. And the truth is we all need these minds of ours to be stirred and awakened at times in our lives. Because I said, sometimes we can get kind of spiritually drowsy. 
We can get a little lethargic and we lose passion for Christ and our interest in the things of God can kind of die off. Romans 13 and Ephesians 5, Paul describes their believers who he says have fallen asleep and they need to be awakened. And sometimes God has to remind us of some things that we've heard before to kind of wake us back up and to say, listen, what are you doing? You're falling asleep spiritually. You need to wake up. You need to be awakened to the things that once mattered to you that don't seem to matter to you very much anymore. And sometimes the Lord wants to awaken us and he'll give us a good, strong reminder in some way to kind of wake us back up and stir us to have a right perspective again. Other times we can just sort of become confused and we can become conflicted in our thinking and we have wrong ideas or two dual ideas in our mind are competing. James chapter 1 speaks of how we can become, it says, double-minded. And it says the double-minded man becomes unstable in all his ways. And the idea of being double-minded is to be indecisive. We have two different thoughts and they're constantly causing us to, to straddle the fence and we're going back and forth and back and forth and we're never being decisive. We're never just making a decision, making a determination and saying, I will do this, go in this direction. And sometimes a good, strong reminder of what's right will be the very thing that will stir us up and jolt us out of that very indecisive attitude and make us say, no, look, this is right. And this is what God has shown me. And I'm no longer going to be indecisive. I'm going to move forward with this. And sometimes it helps us to be awakened in that way. And worse yet, it is even possible to become very deceived and misguided and even start to believe lies in our minds. Listen to what Paul said to the Corinthian believers in 2 Corinthians 11.3. He said, I fear lest somehow as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. So listen, the father of lies, who Jesus called the devil that, he said, and when the devil speaks, he lies, it's speaking his native language. And the devil would love nothing more than to feed lying thoughts and ideas into your mind to get you to buy into those things and to begin to sink your roots into the deception of his lies about a matter or a situation or a person or your life or spiritual things. And Paul says at times, he says the devil, just like he deceived Eve in a crafty way to get her to believe things that were not true about God or God's ways. He says, I fear that this could happen to you at times as believers and because of that, sometimes, again, if I can illustrate, sometimes, listen, just a good reminder, sometimes just a good reminder is a lot like just a good, stern, healthy slap in the face. You know, sometimes it is necessary for, for just a good if and when needed, just a good, healthy slap across the face. And sometimes a good, strong reminder is like that healthy slap in the face to get you to kind of hear someone saying to you, what are you doing? What are you doing? Why are you doing that? Or what are you thinking? Or, or what is up with you? What's wrong with you? Why would you do that? And sometimes a, a reminder I find in my life, it's just a good, healthy slap across the face to kind of just 
stir you up and awaken you to your senses again. And I'm grateful that God in his graciousness is able to do that. And Peter says, this is one of the reasons why on occasion I will not be negligent to remind you, he says, because I think it is right while I'm in this tent to stir up you in your minds on occasion by way of reminders, again, to bring us back to reality or to refocus our direction and our pursuits. Maybe you've lost focus and God wants to give you a reminder regarding something so that you can refocus what matters or you can redirect your attention back where it should be or to rekindle your passions for Christ in some way. Romans 12 says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. The world wants us to conform to its patterns, to its schematic. And the world is constantly, listen, through social media and television and the way people talk and think about things, the world is constantly, whether it's in your school system and your job place or whatever you're exposed to, is going to try and conform you and put you into the patterns of a worldly system. And God says that is why it's essential, not just that we resist being conformed, but that we also allow our minds to be renewed, our minds to be transformed and renewed. And listen, the greatest way your mind can constantly be renewed is to be reminded of the truths that are found in God's word that will help you on occasion say, listen, I know you're starting to feel this way about this. I know you're starting to think this way because that's the way everybody else thinks. I know you're starting to act this way because that's how everybody else in the world acts. But you come to the word of God and when you expose yourself to it daily and routinely, it renews your mind and says, no, but this is how God wants you to think. This is how a Christian thinks. This is the perspective of a follower of Jesus. And as we come to God's word, it helps us to have our minds stirred and awakened afresh again. So Peter says, I think it's right to stir you up by reminding you. Verse 14, he says, knowing that shortly I must put off my tent just as our Lord Jesus Christ has showed me. Moreover, I will be careful to ensure, he says, that you always have a reminder of these things after my decease, or the idea is my death. So notice that Peter was aware, it seems, that his lifespan on earth was soon about to come to an end. You can tell by his language here what he's saying, that he knew that he was close to that transition of the doorway of death, that as time was limited, he mentions in verse 15 that he knew that this was coming. He says, just as the Lord, excuse me, verse 14, just as our Lord Jesus Christ has showed me. So somehow, I don't know how, Peter doesn't tell us, somehow the Lord had made evident to Peter that his lifespan was very short at this point, that he was closing in on the time of his departure from this earth and about to go through the doorway of death, and the Lord had revealed that to him, he sensed it. The same was true with Paul. Uh, we read of Paul's life in 2 Timothy 4, where that Paul says, the time of my departure is at hand. And I've been with people who are close to a season when they're about to, 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 to die, and, and there is a sense, it seems, that on occasion God can give to a person that they realize their time is limited. And Peter was in this situation 
where he realized the, the soon coming of his physical death. And because of that, he tells us here that that was what was motivating him to supply this written record to leave a reminder of God's truths for God's people. Note with me in these verses how Peter had obtained and by way of remembrance had then also retained, I think you could clearly say, a right perspective on life and death. Peter attained this, but because he kept reminding himself of what was true, he had retained to his latter years as an old Christian man now a very right perspective about life and death. Regarding his upcoming death, he says in verse 15 about his death, he says, after my decease. Now, you don't catch something there that's found in the original language that was used. That term decease that Peter used to refer to his death there, in the Greek language, it's actually the term exodus. In other words, referring to an exodus, which is making an exit from one place so that you can move on to another place or to a new location. That's what an exodus is. An exodus isn't a cessation of existence. An exodus is departing from one location so that you can transition into a new location. And this is the term Peter uses to describe his death. He says, I'm about to make an exodus. And regarding the context of his death, in verses 13 and 14, notice he also remembered that his physical body in his impression, was like a tent. You see verse 13? He says, as long as I'm in this tent. And then verse 14, he says, knowing shortly that I must put off my tent. He referred to his body as a tent. Now, a tent is a temporary dwelling place. It's not a permanent residence, correct? If you've been camping before, you understand that a tent is a temporary dwelling place. It's something you dwell in for a time, but it's not intended to last forever. It, you're not intended to stay in it forever, such is the case with your physical body. Your physical body, this flesh, it's a temporary dwelling place for your spirit, which is the real eternal part of you that will last forever and will exist forever either in heaven and God's presence or in the lake of fire and hell, separated from God, if you reject the Lord Jesus Christ. But your body is like a tent. It's a temporary dwelling place designed for your earth dwelling during your lifespan. And a tent does what? It gradually wears out with use. If you camp regularly and you have a tent, you understand that a tent over time, it starts to wear out. It starts to have tears in it. It starts to leak. You can understand where I'm going with this. Flaps don't close correctly anymore on it. Things start to break down. The poles aren't working right anymore. And all of a sudden you realize, hey, this thing with use is starting to get worn out. It's not functioning correctly anymore. Sound familiar? Your body's a tent. And over time with use, it doesn't matter how well you take care of it. And some of us take a lot of time to take very good care of it. Nothing wrong with being a good steward. But no matter how well you take care of it, it's going to break down. Over time, it's going to wear out and things are begin to kind of deteriorate and fall apart, such is the case with the physical body. It's a tent. It's only a temporarily used dwelling place. It starts to deteriorate and break down. And if you're living in a tent for a little while, you very soon start to become uncomfortable in that tent and you want to get to your permanent dwelling place. 
That's a common experience in the physical frame that you live in. After a while, it starts to become uncomfortable and difficult to live in, and you long to be in the permanent dwelling place. 2 Corinthians 5, verses 1 to 10, important section of Scripture to write in your notes or in your Bible here, describes how in these bodies, these tents, we groan, longing to be in that permanent, eternal body that's glorified and perfect, that's free from sickness and suffering and pain, and how in this body, like a tent, we long to be released from it one day. And it's good to remember that your body is just a tent, and that you're one day going to make an exodus from this body into an everlasting eternal dimension somewhere. Because if you remember that, that this body is just a tent, but I'm eternal, and one day I'm going to make an exodus out of this body to somewhere else forever permanently, that should cause you to very seriously think about eternity and to think about spiritual matters and to put your emphasis not on the physical and the temporal, but to put your, temp your, your emphasis on the eternal and the spiritual. And I think it also helps to remember this body is a tent so that you stay encouraged because whether this morning you are 12 or whether you're 22 or you're 32 or you're 52 or you're 72 and your body starts to deteriorate and you start to have health struggles and afflictions and the frustrations and pain and suffering, listen, you can be encouraged one day. You're going to have an exodus. And one day, God is going to set free your spirit from that weak and failing and frustrating body of affliction that you're housed in now and there's going to be an exodus and your spirit's going to be set free. And you're going to be set free to live in an eternal, glorified, perfect body in heaven with the Lord forever. And that's a very encouraging thing in your life. Peter says, moreover, therefore, I want to be careful to ensure, to ensure that you always have a reminder of these things, he says, after my decease or death. See, his motivation was he wanted the people to continuously have something to remind them even beyond his lifespan. What's Peter referring to here? I want to be careful to ensure that you always have a reminder of these things. What's he referring to? A printed copy of spiritual truth, a written documentation, an authentic record of the Word of God, a documented record of God's truth on the printed page that could do what? Refresh their memories and reinforce to them spiritual truths even past the lifespan of Peter so that when they struggled mentally or they were faced with error and lies externally from the false prophets that I'll talk about in chapter 2 and the false teachers that existed or the internal lies of their own minds on occasion that they could go back to a documented copy of the scriptures that were left recorded on a printed page and they could be reminded of truths to safeguard themselves and they could be stirred back up to right thinking and I'll tell you, a printed copy of the Word of God is such a precious and a valuable thing to possess. 
You you read Psalm 19, it's a passage of Scripture about the Word of God and how the law of the Lord is is perfect, converting the soul. That it warns us and it, it gives to us enlightenment for our eyes. And it says there that God's Word is more to be desired than gold, than fine gold, sweeter than the honey and the honeycomb. The value of the written record of God's Word that reminds us continuously of what is true and what is right and what is helpful for us to remember. And today, in light of the passage we're studying, can I take a moment to refresh your memory regarding the value of God's truth by reminding you of some of the truths and promises that are written down and preserved in this book that are so helpful for us on occasion to be reminded of. Look, perhaps today you are here this morning, and I don't know what's going on in each one of your lives, but maybe you're here this morning and you are fearful and worried. And you're fearful about something that you're facing in your life or dealing with in your life. You have fears about something. Maybe you're concerned about your children or you're concerned about your health or you're concerned about your finances and you're, you're facing something that you're fearful and you're worried about. Well, maybe God would remind you of Isaiah 41.10. God says, fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you, yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Maybe you're here this morning and you're feeling sort of weary. And you're weak and you're tired. And you're feeling as if you just don't have the power to continue on. And in your weariness, you're just wondering where the strength is going to come from. Well, maybe God would remind you of Isaiah 40, verse 28 to 31 where it says, The everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, neither faints nor is weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the weak. And to those who have no might, he increases strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall utterly fall, but those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. Perhaps you're here this morning and you're struggling with guilt. Maybe you've been wrestling with the shame of some mistake or failure in your life. And the shame and the guilt keeps chronically plaguing you, the guilt over something that you have done. Well, maybe God would remind you of 1 John 1.9, where the Bible declares there that if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That it does not matter what you have done in your past or you have fallen into recently or presently, God says, if you confess, if you just admit it, acknowledge it, and tell me about it, because of what Jesus Christ has done, He says He is faithful, He has a faithful basis and a just basis to forgive you. And not just forgive you, but to cleanse you from that unrighteousness in your life. Maybe you're here this morning and you need direction or guidance and, Lord, I just don't know what to do. I don't know where to turn or I don't know how to handle this and and you really need direction from the Lord. Well, Jeremiah 33.3, maybe God would remind you of His invitation. Jeremiah 33.3, God says, Call to me and I will answer you and I will show you great and mighty things which you do not know. 
God invites you by way of reminder to call to him and how he will show you things that you don't know that he does because he's God. And he does know because he sees tomorrow and he sees next week, even sees a year ahead. And so he'll tell you what to do from an all-knowing perspective and he gives you the invitation to ask him for that guidance. Maybe you're here this morning and you've recently fell into something and you're facing some unexpected event or some unfortunate circumstance a stormy sea and and God would remind you of Psalm 46 where it says that God is our refuge and our strength and he's an ever-present help in time of trouble. Well, maybe you say, well, that's great that God's ever-present and I'm I'm glad it'll help me through it, but this is going to be a catastrophe and I can't see how this could ever possibly result in anything other than ruin or just utter destruction. Well, maybe God would remind you of Romans 8.28 where it says that we know that all things, all things, All things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Maybe you're here this morning and you're hurting in some way mentally or emotionally. You're grieving or dealing with sorrow. Maybe God would remind you of Psalm 147.3 where it says that God heals the brokenhearted and he binds up their wounds. Are you brokenhearted this morning? God takes delight in and has the power in his love and compassion to heal broken hearts, to minister his salve of comfort to a wounded and hurting heart. Maybe you're dealing with some physical struggle or suffering in some form. Maybe Jesus would say to you what he said to Paul the Apostle in 2 Corinthians 12, where he says, my grace is sufficient for you. I know that you wish this would go away. I know that you wish you didn't have to face this. And I know you've asked me to take this away but I'm going to leave it. You're going to have to walk through it. But he says, but my grace is sufficient for you. It will be sufficient for you to address and to deal with that. Maybe this morning, recently, you've been hurt or offended. Maybe you're struggling with forgiving someone. Maybe Colossians chapter 3 would be a good reminder. It says, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies and kindness and humility, meekness and long-suffering, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. And if anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you must also do. Maybe you're here this morning and you're facing circumstances that from your perspective are absolutely impossible. It's just impossible. You don't, it, it's impossible. It's, it's overwhelming you. Well, hey, maybe God would remind you this morning from Luke 137. It says, for with God, nothing will be impossible. On your own, yes, it's impossible. I agree with you. But with God, nothing will be impossible. The Bible tells us in Genesis 18:14 that God says, is there anything too hard for the Lord? Anything? Is there is there is there something that's too hard for the Lord? Not for the Lord. For us, yes, but certainly never for the Lord. Maybe you're struggling with some sinful habit in your life. You feel enslaved and you just can't overcome it. Well, maybe Jesus would say to you what he said in John chapter 8, verse 36, where he declared, but if the Son sets you free, you shall be free indeed. Maybe you've tried to free yourself. You've tried to get liberation. You've tried to get deliverance and and you've exhausted your energies. And maybe Jesus is saying that's because you are trying to set yourself free. 
But if you humbly cry out to me and realize once for all, only I can set you free. You can be delivered. You can be free indeed. And Jesus reminds us of that glorious promise. Maybe you're just wondering, man, whatever it is, this, that, how can I do it? How can I do it? I just don't know how I'm going to be able to to, to do this and and keep going. Well, 1 Thessalonians 5.24 says, He who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. Hey, can I remind you this morning regarding the nature of God that it says, Great is his faithfulness. It says, The Lord is good to those who wait upon him to the soul who seeks him and it's good that one should hope and wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord let me remind you this morning God loves you God loves you nothing can separate you from the love of God God loves you and he will come through at the appointed time let's stand together and pray and turn our hearts and worship to him and sing to the Lord and just reflect upon some of the great reminders of God's truth in our lives.